BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, it's not just Donald Trump's presidency that people are talking about these days. It's also Donald Trump's properties. With news, for example, that Vice President Mike Pence stayed at Trump's golf course in Ireland 181 miles away from his meetings in Dublin. And news that the Air Force is regularly bunking its crews for multiple day stays at Trump's golf course in Scotland. And news that Attorney General Bill Barr's throwing his staff Christmas party at Trump's hotel in Washington. Which raises the question, is Donald Trump just using the presidency of the United States to promote his own brand and line his own pockets? Well, nobody knows better because nobody knows more about the Trump business empire than David Farenthold, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter for The Washington Post. I sat down with David Farenthold at the new offices of The Post on K Street in downtown Washington. David, it's good to see you. Thank you. Good to be here. So um, I looked at your website. I uh, looked you up in Google, and it says that you are here at the Washington Post and that your your beat is the Trump Organization. Okay. Yes, right. I'm a member of the White House Correspondents Association. My beat is the Trump Presidency. <laughs> is there any difference between <laughs> the Trump Presidency and the Trump Organization, and how can you tell? Well, yes, there is a difference, but the, the difference is getting smaller every day. <laughs> Uh, so we, we've spent the last couple of years trying to write about this business, this sort of unusual uh, real estate hotel business that Trump owns, and how it's interacting with the presidency. And for a long time, the main way it was interacting was that Trump was hurting his own brand. Uh, you know, he was driving away customers that used to fill his hotels and, and causing revenue to go down. Lately, uh, he seems to have been helping the brand by uh, visiting, becoming his own best customer and by having his, his officials go and stay at his hotels. Um, so that's been a, a change in the beat that the Trump administration and uh, its you know, top officials are some of his best customers. So the, the two are getting closer together. Is his mission uh, as president to uh, promote his own brand <laughs> and line his own pockets? I think I wouldn't say that is his only mission, uh, but certainly he has used the presidency to benefit his brand at every turn. He's visited Mar-a-Lago, he's visited Bedminster, he's, talk, he's visited uh, two overseas golf courses, he's talked about his properties all the time. Um, he's talked about holding the G7 at his property mm -hmm. in uh, Doral property outside Miami. So, um, you know, when he started, when he won the presidency, one of the basic promises he made was, I will be totally separate from my business. I'm going to own it, but I'm not going to interfere with it. I'm not, you know, I, my only thought is the American people. Um, and we've seen that promise basically wither away uh, to where now he talks about his properties all the time and seems willing to use the presidency to promote them. Well, it got off to a false start, correct? Because he did not divest, as other presidents have done, or president-elects, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, and he did not put his businesses in blind trust. He just said he was going to keep an arm's length away from them. And, That's right. And his sons would run them. Um, 
he did he's not done that. Well, he or he didn't do what others have done. He didn't do what others have done, and he continues to own his businesses. Um, the, what he said about how he would not run them day to day, and he would hand over business, you know, leadership to his sons. Uh, you know, I think day to day, yes, Eric Trump is the one running the Trump organization. But what I don't know is how often Donald Trump uh, has any input in what happens with the Trump organization. You know, what kind of businesses decisions he's consulted on, if any. Um, there, I don't have a great deal of confidence that that there's no contact there, but I don't know what the contact is. So in 2000, one of the first times that he contemplated running for president, Donald Trump told Fortune magazine, quote, it's very possible that I could be the first presidential candidate to run and make money on it. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen any evidence that he's made money off the presidency. Certainly campaigning is very good for the Trump business because he's used the Trump campaign to put money into a variety of his businesses. He rents office space from himself at Trump Tower, even though he has a campaign headquarters in Virginia. He um, you know, has used his businesses for a number of staging grounds for a number of his very expensive campaign events. So he's taken campaign money and put that into his property. So campaigning certainly has been a good moneymaker for Trump. Uh, the, using the presidency to put money in his pocket. He was sort of reticent about that in the first couple of years of his presidency, but has become more aggressive about it in the last couple of years. Still, though, Trump the campaigner has been much more lucrative than Trump the president. But every time the president, as president, that he stays, you name it, Mar-a-Lago. Bedminster, right. Bedminster goes to the Trump Hotel. Mm -hmm. um, there's money that goes to those properties. That's right. Some of that money yes or no, goes into Trump's pocket. Of course. Yeah, the, 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 the businesses are owned by him. Their money is his money. He can take money out of them whenever he wants. So uh, money that goes into the Trump Hotel in D.C., to the degree that there's money left over after expenses are paid, mm -hmm. that is Donald Trump's personal money. Uh, so we don't know how much money goes from the federal government to the Trump properties at, at a lot of, for a lot of these visits where he visits his own property, just because it's really hard to get records about those visits. Um, what we do know is that there, you know, there, there certainly is tens of thousands of dollars uh, that have gone to Trump's own pockets from people staying with him that accompany him to his resorts. So um, before we got together, I uh, also Googled um, Trump lining his own pockets. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to read you a couple of headlines that, that, that come up uh, just off the front mm -hmm. page. Atlant from the Atlantic, quote, the perfectly normal ways Trump can enrich himself. HuffPost, there is, there is a Trump doctrine, and it's mostly about enriching himself. <laughs> USA Today, Trump is using taxpayers to enrich himself and his family. Washington Post, welcome to the Trump kleptocracy. <laughs> uh, so is he and how? Well, enriching himself. Well, he certainly is bringing revenue to his businesses. You know, whether that you know results in a profit, whether that's more money than he would, would have made otherwise, whether it equals the business that he's driven away by being Donald Trump the politician, I don't know. I don't know what the overall profit and loss of the Trump organization is. Um, but certainly, he has shown a willingness to do what no president in modern history, really, I think, in any part of U.S. history, has done, which is use the presidency in ways that put money in his own pocket, even if that's not the point of his presidency. He does it. He visits his own properties, often bringing aides in tow. He takes side trips off of international trips to his own properties. So he's putting money in his own pocket, taxpayer money into his own pocket, uh, in a way that no president in recent history has. Right. So uh, I'm going to back up a second because your reporting on this started um, even before he was sworn in. 
uh, for which you be reporting for which you won a Pulitzer Prize. Congratulations Thank again. <laughs> and it started with um, pledges that the Trump Foundation had made. Correct. That's right. It, it started at a, a campaign rally for Trump in Iowa in February 2016, where I saw him in the middle of a campaign rally, stop the rally and say, well, hold on. Um, you know, it called a local veterans group up to the stage in Waterloo, Iowa. And he says, I'm going to give you this big check from the Trump Foundation, the Donald J. Trump Foundation, big golf tournament size check for $100,000. He gives it to this group and they say, oh, you know, thank you very much, Mr. Trump. You're going to be a great president. They sit down and the rally starts again. Now, you don't see that very often. I had nope. never seen that happen in a political rally. And the reason is because it's illegal to mix a uh, nonprofit uh, with a ch presidential campaign. It's, the law specifically prohibits that. That's why people don't do it. Um, and so that got me interested in what is the Donald J. Trump Foundation? You know, where does its money come from? Why does he have all this money? Um, and it, in that case, it turned out that he had money because he'd gotten other people to put money in the Trump Foundation. It turned out to be kind of the M.O. of the Trump Foundation, uh, that he had gotten other people to donate money for veterans to his foundation. Now, he was giving it away from, you know, on stage with his name attached. So it seemed right. like a donation from him. And that got me interested in, you know, what is this foundation? How does it work? Where does its money come from? And that became a series of stories that lasted for basically all of 2016. And um, so... Did he give that money to the actually give that money to the veterans organization? Well, it took a while, and it took some coverage of him to, to before he did it. Um, the one sort of telling episode was out of this. He said he'd raised six million dollars for veterans, and and of that, one million dollars was going to come out of his own pocket. It was his own money. Um, and so we couldn't figure out. We spent all this time trying to basically prove him right, to prove that he had given away the money that he said he gave away. And I couldn't find any evidence that he had. I looked all over and couldn't find any evidence that he'd given this money away. So finally, Corey Lewandowski, uh, <laughs> it was back in the news now, yeah. um, called me. He was Trump's campaign manager then. And he said, well, I can tell you, Mr. Trump has given away all million dollars to veterans groups, but I can't tell you when he gave it away or in what amounts or when, anything else. It's all or secret. Or to what organizations. Yeah, can't tell you who got it. It's all secret. And obviously, you can't take that. You know, that's not the end of the story, right? It doesn't matter who's saying that, right? It, any kind of politician says, I gave away a million dollars to extremely worthy causes, but I won't tell you what they are. Leave me alone. It's all a secret. You can't let that be the end of the story. So we spent a lot of time searching for evidence that Trump had given away that million bucks, looking for anybody who'd gotten even a dollar of it and couldn't find it. And the reason was because it, Trump hadn't given it away. What Lewandowski had said was completely untrue. Trump called us back a couple days later and said, okay, fine, now I gave the money away. Um, to, and he gave it sort of all in one fell swoop to a charity run by a friend of his. Um, after that, we thought, okay, well, you know, this guy, under the brightest spotlight we have in American journalism, which is the coverage of a major party's presidential nominee, was apparently tried to get out of giving a donation to veterans, the most honored group in our society. You know, tried to say he'd done it when he really hadn't done it. So what was he doing before? You know, how was mm -hmm. he using his charity before right now when the spotlight was not as bright? That was kind of the jumping off point for what we looked for. And you found that he was using his uh, foundation, his charity, in some pretty creative ways. Uh, <laughs> yes, creative is a good word for it. <laughs> Basically, he, uh, he treated it, and I should say that at the start, even if this may sound obvious, but some people don't know it, even if your name is on the foundation, right? even if it's the Bill Press Foundation or the David A. Farenthold Foundation, it's still a charity, and a charity is a separate legal entity. The reason why it's tax-exempt is because the money you put in there is the charity's money. It's not your money anymore, even mm -hmm. if the charity has your name on it. 
And so you can't just spend it for whatever you want. You have to use the money, money in the charity for charitable purposes. So Trump had the Donald J. Trump Foundation, but he treated it basically as if it were another, another pocket of his wallet. He used it to buy things that benefited him. He used it to buy portraits of himself that he hung up on the wall of his golf club. Um, expensive, large, expensive portraits of himself. He used it to settle business, legal debts that his businesses incurred. Um, he used it for all kinds of things that charity money was not supposed to be used for. What happened to the foundation? Uh, in 2018, it was sued by the New York Attorney General for what they, the AG called persistently illegal conduct. Uh, that case is still ongoing, but the charity has been effectively shut down. Right. So you are still on a daily basis uh, looking into the Trump Organization, correct? That's right. Uh, in doing so, why do you ask people to break the law? <laughs> so I, I should explain. Yes, David Farnold has been accused by Eric Trump of asking employees of the Trump Organization to break the law. Take it from there. So Eric uh, was responding to something that I'd sent out to. I've sent out to a number of members of his company. One of the things you do if you're as a reporter and you're you know covering the Trump Organization or you cover the Democratic National Committee, you cover the Washington Redskins. You need sources within the organizations you cover, and that means reaching out to a lot of people who know the things you want to know, but you don't know them. Um, and so what I was doing in this case was typical of that kind of reporting. Um, it just happened to be on the Trump Organization in this case, where I sent out emails to all these you know lots and lots and lots of members of the Trump Organization, employees, ex-employees, saying. Here I am, basically. I cover the Trump Organization. I want to know about this company. You know it better than I do. If you want to call me, here's how to reach me. If you have documents you want to send me, here's how to here's how to send them to me. Um, you know, so it's basically kind of an open-ended contact. I want these people to know where I am. If there's ever anything I think they think I ought to know, good or bad, here's where I am. Eric, um, you didn't threaten them. No, I mean, with what? What could I threaten them with? You didn't promise them a big check if they. Gave you information. I can't do that. No. No. I mean, I I've seen a copy of the email. You yes. Said, this is me. If you have anything you want to talk about, here's my contact information. So yeah, then I want people to think they can send me good things, bad things, you know, whatever they think in there that they see in their life as a Trump Organization employee that's newsworthy, the public ought to know about. Here's here I am. Um, I, you know, so Eric says, well, you know, this is breaking the law. And I, I guess because he thinks that I'm encouraging people to steal documents that they are not, that, you know, legally they're not, they're not supposed to give out. I'm not asking anything like that. I just want people to know here I am. If you think you have something of any kind that I ought to see, reach out to me. Right. Um, let's talk about now coming forward today because there have been some, you mentioned, uh, we know the president regularly visits his his property yes you may have a more up-to-date number well the most recent i saw nbc news reported at the end of april so already two or three months ago that out of 963 days of his presidency to that point he had spent 297 days at his properties that sounds right so it's close to the, the, the count we're keeping he goes there often on weekends he goes there for he goes to bedminster for a week or two in the summer, he goes to Mar-a-Lago for week, you know, on weekends. If he goes to Mar-a-Lago, mm -hmm. what's it cost taxpayers? Well, from what we know, which is I think not up to date, the 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 because it takes so long to get information about this sort of thing out of the government. Each one of those trips, the ones we've looked at, have been from early 2017. Uh, tens of thousands of dollars to you, to, to, and that's just what it what taxpayers pay Trump. Um, in terms of what does it cost taxpayers to pay for everything else, the security, the overtime. I've seen a million dollars yeah. estimate. Is that out hundreds of? of? No, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, you think about all the different 
boats and police officers and Secret Service agents and golf cart rentals and everything else it takes to protect a big open-ended place like Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster. Now, we should say presidents always you know, have the right to go off and, you know, find seclusion. You know, people, uh, other presidents right. have gone to Camp David or Bush went to his ranch in Crawford. What's different about Trump is two things. One, uh, the degree to which he goes to places that benefit him, where there's a commercial interest in advertising that the president will be at this place. He could, you know, he's selling memberships to all of these places um, and selling Sterling, tickets. Sterling, Bedminster, yeah. Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, all those places Doral. are places where you can buy memberships or you can, you know, pay to come stay in a room. Um, and so he's advertising, he's using the presidency to, to sort of advertise a place that brings him revenue. It's not just his home, it's a business. Um, that's one thing. And then the other thing is the, you know, the, the degree to which Trump chooses places that are, because that's where his clubs are located, in the middle of very difficult to police areas, right? He's not going to a ranch in the middle of it, nowhere in Texas. He's mm -hmm. not going to Camp David. He's going to places that are difficult to protect because they weren't designed to be secluded retreats. They were designed to be clubs. Um, so that raises the cost of all these things. And again, to the extent that there are staff or security who have to stay in, not at a nearby hotel, but in that property, those rooms are not free. No, the taxpayers pay for those rooms. Taxpayers pay for those rooms. And again, part of that revenue mm -hmm. uh, goes to the president. Um, I just came from downtown Washington and right across the street, I happen to be from the Trump International Hotel. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know of any, I'm, I, one night I know he went to a dinner at a private home, which was a fundraiser. I'm not sure he's ever gone out to dinner anywhere but the Trump Hotel. Not in if DC, he goes no. out in Washington, that's where he goes. That's right. Right. Um, how, how much does he make on the Trump Hotel? And we, we know also, because it's his hotel, um, people go there for a reason. Right, and you can be guaranteed you know, not guaranteed, but, you know, it's, it raises your chances of running into him or one of his officials. There's a lot of, a lot of you know, Vice President Pence, A.G. Barr. A lot of these folks have been seen there. It raises the chances you're going to run into somebody connected to him if you're trying to lobby one of those folks. Um, and it raises the chances that Trump himself will appear if you book a, uh, you know, you book a place at, at you book a ballroom. Um, so the revenue of that hotel is about $52 million a year. I don't know what the profit is because we only see the revenue, not the cost. Um, but certainly that's a place that brings in a lot of money to him and where, you know, him going and his officials going potentially raises its attractiveness as a venue. We're talking with David Farenthold from The Washington Post, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist uh, whose uh, particular focus is uh, the Trump Organization as well as the Trump presidency. Bill Press Pod brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, those good men and women. Of our firefighting departments across the land, they are on the front lines protecting American families every day under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. We salute them, thank them for their great work protecting American families across the land, and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with David Farenthold here at the uh, Washington Post. David, I want to come back to the Trump Hotel for a second because it has become a favorite destination for uh, foreign government officials who are um, visiting Washington um, and functions uh, sponsored by some of the foreign embassies that are located in Washington. Why, on God's name, would they choose the Trump Hotel <laughs> over the Marriott or the Willard or the W? Um, well, I can only tell you what they've said to us, um, which some of the you know that some of them have said. Well, it's just a beautiful hotel. I love the venue, you know, and it is a beautiful hotel with a big ballroom. Um, and the the one place where uh, a foreign embassy has chosen the hotel and then gone and told everybody, look, this is a gesture of friendship. This is a, this is a gesture we're just, we're doing this to impress Trump was the Philippines, run by Duterte, a, 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 mm. you know, a, a president with strong affinities for President Trump. Um, they rented out the ballroom for their Philippine Filipino embassy National Day celebration last year, and the Philippine ambassador actually at the event said, we're doing this because we want to show our friendship for President Trump. It's a gesture of thank you, gratitude. You know, we're putting money. He he helps us as president. We're going to put money in his pocket as a private businessman. Right. Uh, and there are private individuals who hold their events there, too, maybe for the same purpose. They can If they see the president, they can say, hey, stay at your hotel. What mm-hmm. a great place. Um, I've heard rumors that some cabinet members might even hold Christmas parties there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got this uh, tip, that, which turned out to be true, that uh, Attorney General Barr, is uh, planned, newly installed by President Trump, is planning a holiday party at the Trump Hotel this year, that which he expects to pay. And this is his personal money, not the DOJ's money. He expects to spend at least $30,000 around the whole ballroom. It's a big holiday party. Um, so that's the, pre- the Attorney General who owes his power and his position to Trump, now putting a little money in Trump's pocket. Uh, again, he says it was the only hotel available. Right. Um, I hate to get legal or, you know, <laughs> maybe make uh, practice law without a license, but isn't there a law against this? Isn't there something called the emoluments clause of the Constitution that would work against or try to make illegal both the foreign money going into the president's pocket and the domestic money? Uh, yes, there are the there are the two emoluments clauses in the Constitution, which say basically number one, foreign states can't pay the president an emolument, which is an old word for a payment, um, and that uh, the, the individual states and the U.S. government cannot pay the president money on top of his official salary. So um, the problem with those two applications, those two 
constitutional provisions is that they are so little used. Every past president has stayed so far away. Most from, people never heard of it right. until Donald Trump. Right, right. Because, because no presidents ever wanted to, you know, they didn't want to step in anywhere close to this. They just, they, you know, either they didn't have any business interests or they divested them. They made sure they were not coming close to the line where Trump has, you know, obviously stepped all, all over the line. <clears throat> the, um, the problem with, with that is that because it's a little used area of law, it's not the kind of thing the federal courts like to do to sort of jump into a new area of law and leap out and make a make a decision. They like to move slowly and sort of accrete precedent. And so uh, trying to apply that slow moving system to the to the Trump presidency has been really hard for these plaintiffs. There's been three major lawsuits filed accusing him of violating the emoluments clause. And a lot of them have just gotten, you know, two and a half years later are still hung up on the question of, well, who can sue? Who has who has the right to even bring a suit? Forget about you know, we're far away from reaching the question of, like, what is an emolument? Should President Trump be stopped from taking these payments? They're just like, well, can this suit even happen? You know, who has the right to bring a lawsuit? So I don't think we're going to get any sort of real resolution on that till it gets to the Supreme Court. I don't know if that's going to happen even in Trump's first term. This question of um, the president's properties and corruption involved or enriching himself or whatever uh, took a new dimension a week or so ago when it was not foreign governments, it was not private citizens, it was the U.S. military um, that was suddenly showing up at Donald Trump's um, resort in Scotland, the Turnberry That's right. Resort. An unusual place, to say the least, for Air Force crews to lay over. Since the story broke, we found out, uh, I think Politico reported, that it wasn't just one night. They stayed, several of them stayed multiple nights, mm-hmm. were treated as VIPs. Uh, access to the golf course, mm-hmm. and today it was reported some two hundred thousand dollars at this. What have you, your reporting, discovered about this, and is this appropriate? Well, it uh, the question about this for me that I think we still haven't really answered is what of this, the causality, right? So this is the the reason that the U.S. crews are there is because they're stopping to refuel at a sort of a little used Scottish airport that's near uh, Turnberry. So they fly in from the Middle East, refuel there, and they fly back onto the U.S. But do they fly into that little airport because it's close to Trump's golf resort? Well, that, that's the problem. Is I don't think we have evidence they do. So there's a contract that the Obama administration signed in 2016 saying, you know, we're going to pay a bunch of money to this airport and get a bunch more traffic that set this all in motion. And so s- some of the crews that stop there and stay overnight go to Trump Turnberry. And what I, so, but the problem with judging the causality of is it is that the, the Obama administration sort of set this contract in motion. So I have yet to see somebody say, "Well, under Obama, we had thought that the flights would be, you know, X, and they've really been three X, or that the stays at Turnberry would be, you know, this level, and the, the under Trump, the stays at Turnberry have gone up." Certainly, it doesn't look good to have the U.S. U.S. Air Force paying the president's company, um, but I think we still haven't figured out if there was anybody doing it to curry favor with Trump. Did the Air Force just to, to know the did the Air Force crews stay there at Turnberry under? They might have gone to the airport, but did they go to Turnberry under President Obama's presidency? The well, I th- the, I think the answer is yes. Um, the question is, did the Im- amount increase, and can it be separated from the signing of that contract, which was like in October of 2016? Because my understanding is, I haven't been there, that there are plenty of hotels closer to the airport. Yes, and the, the DOD has said, you know, that a majority of their, their visiting air crews stayed at other other places, and only a handful went to Turnberry. But still, it's $184,000. Uh, it's a lot of money, and it uh, we still don't know enough enough to really say. 
is this just a lucky coincidence for Trump, or is this something that he had a role in augmenting? Whether he suggested to the... <laughs> right, like he suggested to Mike Pence. Maybe that's why James Mattis left. Now we, right. Now, now we know. Now, speaking of hotels that are not close to your uh, to the airport or close to where your meetings are being held, uh, Vice President Mike Pence uh, found that uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to stay at Donald Trump's resort in Ireland? Forget the name of the golf Dunebeg. course. Dunebeg. Dunebeg, right which happens to be 181 miles from the meetings he was holding in Dublin. I yeah. mean, is there any doubt why he stayed there? <laughs> well, Pence's explanation— What did you find out? Is, well, Pence is, so this happened earlier this month. Pence's explanation was that, well, I have a long-lost cousin who happens to live in Dunebeg, and I guess he had visited that cousin once before. But obviously it's not really—the the business of the people, you know, the United States' business was not really served by him going to meet this long-lost cousin who lives in Dunbeg. That was just a personal trip. Um, he arranged the trip so that his nights were spent in Dunbeg, which is, you know, if you picture Ireland as a clock, that's yeah. the, that's like at, you know, 9 o'clock or really more like 10 o'clock on the, on the uh, you know, it's over on the west of Ireland. Right. And then it would drive an hour and then fly an hour to, to Dublin to have his meetings. Uh, so he was going way out of his way to uh, the official business, like even his time as vice president, right? His time is valuable. He would spend like two hours each way in transit. Easy. Just two to, hours. Yeah, to get to Dublin to have his meetings um, and then fly all the way back to, to Dunbeg. So it was, a de- it was a massive detour that happened to benefit President Trump. Uh, and what was the Pence, Pence's explanation? What did they tell you? about why they stayed there. They said it was at, uh, at the suggestion of President Trump. At the suggestion of, not yes. the order of. Right, but I mean, what, does the right. president have to does it have to order you to do anything? <laughs> and, and I think partly, I mean, this is also, Pence set this in motion, right? There's, the, you know, Pence, when Pence says, oh, I'm going to take a side trip to Dunbeg, Mr. President, there's one hotel in Dunbeg, and it's President Trump's hotel. So it's not like, Donald, you know, mm. like Pence sort of walked into this situation by making a taxpayer-funded side trip to Dunbeg anyway. If you're going to go there, probably you're going to stay at the Trump Hotel because there's nothing else. Back to the question of how much money Donald Trump is making from his business as president, while he is president, um, how do we find out? Is the answer getting his tax return? It w- and where are we on that issue? <laughs> if we had his tax returns, we would know a lot of these questions. So we've spent a lot of time trying to grab little pieces of his financial information from public filings, you know, wherever we can to learn how this piece of the Trump empire is doing in that piece. We can't see the whole picture. His Trump, his tax returns would certainly have that whole picture. What actual revenues he making? What's it, what are his costs? What are his profits and losses? Um, we have not seen those, obviously. Uh, there's a number of folks who are making efforts to get them, including the House Democrats, including apparently the district attorney in Manhattan. Um, and the Washington Post? Well, I mean, I'd, I, you know, I'd like to see them, but we don't have the legal avenues to get them that other people do. So if we see them, it's probably going to be the, a result of some legal procedure producing them for somebody else. Um, but, yeah, the, one of the most puzzling things about the last year has been sort of the, the kind of uh, lassitude shown by House Democrats to, in their in some investigations of Trump, and one of the most surprising things is the Ways and Means Committee, which has the ability to get Trump's tax returns, state tax returns from New York State. New York State changed its laws to make it possible for the uh, Ways and Means Democrats of the you know the Ways and Means Committee to get 
his state tax returns, and they're not doing it. They're not that Ways and Means hasn't asked for them um, for reasons that I don't quite fathom. So they have the people who have the best chance of getting these tax returns seem to be pursuing them only half-heartedly. You don't think Congress is doing enough to get them? They don't seem to be doing very much. I think you know Richard Neal, this congressman from Massachusetts, is the chairman of Ways and Means. I. I think he may see his, you know, he didn't get into ways and means to investigate presidents. He got into ways and means to write tax policy. And he may see this as kind of a sidelight to his real purpose. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, this is not like a presidential debate where they drag up things that you said in 1975 <laughs> and make you, uh, humiliate you and make you answer for them. But I did see a couple of uh, comments of yours that I wanted to ask you and close by asking about. Um, you, you tweeted, I believe, recently, uh, the quote at any rate is, there is nothing in journalism that is as exhilarating as being lied to. <laughs> um, I just saw that Donald Trump made 87, I think this was in the post, false statements last week. <laughs> How do you deal with a president who's just lying all the time? Uh, it's a great question, and for me, it means just focusing on the lies that have to do with my particular, you know, section of the world, uh, not on all of them. It's a guy named Daniel Dale at CNN who does a great job cataloging all his falsehoods about every single thing. That's an overwhelming task. Um, for, and you have Glenn Kessler here in, as well. Um, so the um, for me, you know, Trump's falsehoods about his business or his claims about his business that are unsupported by anything, like I'm losing $5 billion a year or whatever, being president. Um, you know, you can check those out as far as, as, as far as you can, and then mostly, if I can't find any evidence to support them, I disregard them. I just don't think that, at this point, many of the statements that he's made about his business have, when we've learned the ground truth about them, have turned out to be accurate. So I don't take him and his public statements to be like tremendously... You know, that's not a source you'd, you'd, you'd bet the house on, even if he's talking about something that he should know about. Right. Um, and related to that um, is the question about have we ever seen any other president like this? Again, quoting uh, David Fahrenheit, quote, we've never had a president like this that kept ownership of his business and brought it with him to the White House. You can't understand what's happening with him unless you understand what's happening with his businesses. Absolutely That's true. That's what it's all about. Yeah, right? and the, the, the connect, what really is happening, what he sees about his business, I, I don't think I know enough yet. I really, there's so much more we need to learn about the big picture and about his customers that we still don't know. We don't even know, for instance, which foreign countries are his customers and how much they've paid. If you, do, if you don't know that, how can you possibly evaluate Trump's foreign policy without at least knowing which companies have paid him money privately? Uh, that's the kind of thing that, if you, you know, that's why I think our beat is so important. The more we understand about that, the more we can see the presidency in the world as President Trump sees it. What is your line of focus right now in terms of the Trump organization or the Trump businesses? I like to think of the beat as in three eyes, three, three words that start with I. Um, the first one is uh, influence. You know, who is using the Trump businesses to try to influence the president who's, you know, either people within his government or people in foreign governments or businesses. Uh, the other eye is in income. How much income is President Trump making? Is it, are his businesses succeeding or failing? 
And if they fail, what kind of pressure does that put on him? What kind of vulnerabilities might that open him up to? I mean, think about if you're trying to recruit a spy, you look for a spy who's in financial trouble. You know, you look for somebody who's, you know, who, who needs money and it's, it's, it's changed their morals because they need to be, they need to satisfy a, a, a monetary debt. We need to know if the president is, is facing any kind of crisis like that in his private finances. Uh, the third, third eye is immigration. Is President Trump um, sort of preaching one set of values on immigration, saying that undocumented immigrants are a danger to American workers and American lives, and behind the scenes employing undocumented workers to save himself a buck? Uh, back to your second point there. Does he owe any money to Vladimir Putin or to the Kremlin <laughs> or to Deutsche Bank or— he does owe money to Deutsche Bank. Uh, it was Deutsche Bank more than, I, I think, at least uh, more than $200 million. Uh, that's well known. He, he has loans on uh, his Doral Resort in Florida, his D.C. hotel, and um, and his Chicago hotel tower. He, that's normal. We, we know that. That's in loan documents. He owes Deutsche Bank a but lot there, of money. There have been reports or questions about what what's the deal behind his buddy-buddy relationship with Putin and people are suspecting that maybe, you know, there's money involved. <laughs> well, I've certainly read a lot of speculation about that. And, you know, you haven't found any? Nothing. I mean, and, you know, that's not to say that I know the whole world of Donald Trump's finances, but um, I have never seen any evidence that connects him financially to, um, you know, Russian interests or to the Russian government. David Farenholt, uh, you've done a lot of great work. It sounds like you've got... Long way to go. Oh, so much more. All right. Keep at it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Press Bot. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you all for listening. And now one big favor we ask of you. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. It's free and it's easy. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in. Search for the Bill Press Pod and subscribe. And then, of course, tell all your friends to do so. And if you really want to make our day, give us a great big fat five-star review. The more reviews, the more listeners, the more people we reach every day with the Bill Press Pod. So thanks again for joining us. And stay strong. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.